Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 405. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and this week I'm bringing you an episode which was recorded a few months ago as a third part of my series of somatic witnessing on my grief journey with Linda Ty. If you missed the first two episodes, they're linked in the show notes. I had an unexpected loss of a family member earlier this year. The context, in case you haven't been listening, is that I've been dealing with anticipatory grief related to my own parents' health issues, which has opened an opportunity to explore deep healing of the attachment wounds I've carried throughout my life. Within this, the traumatic grief that arose with the most recent loss allowed another layer to come to light. Linda Tai, a wonderful teacher, and I agreed to do a series of episodes in which she guided somatic work and I was the participant. It's a demonstration of how somatic work can look and feel. In this third episode of that series, we worked with the back body and the yield aspect of the developmental attachment cycle. Listening to this audio version of the podcast may provide one level of experience for you, and watching on video will likely feel and land very differently. It's up to you which way you want to consume this episode, maybe both. The video will be posted on the Therapy Chat YouTube channel as soon as we can get it up there. I invite you to check in with yourself as you listen and watch or watch (laughs) our interaction here. And pause as needed to attend to any attachment or trauma reactions you might notice within your own conscious awareness within you as you observe our experience together. I think it's important for everyone, and especially therapists, To notice the depths that somatic attachment work can reach, often very quickly. My nervous system has been prepared by many years of trauma therapy and attachment therapy and somatic healing work and energy work to have capacity to hold what arose during this demo. And yet, even with all of that, I had been working with the dynamics that arose prior to this interaction and have been continuing to work with what's come up in this, in this engagement with Linda, with my own therapist and an energy worker that I work with regularly. So I just want to say that because I want to be very clear when we often think that 
you know, we want to get somewhere fast. We want to access the trauma quickly and we want to process it and move it through. And we get a lot of messages that people are being made to suffer longer than needed in therapy. But our systems all have built protections that they need. And there's a time that it takes. There's no way around that it's a slow process to heal developmental trauma. Additionally, Linda and I have a level of trust within our relationship. We've known each other now for a while, although we had never met in person at the time when we did this. I feel it's very important for therapists to have a strong sense of humility when using any interventions for attachment and trauma, especially somatic ones, as there are no shortcuts to healing. And with awareness of the power differential that's inherent in the therapeutic process, we never, quote, do something to a client. Our power is power with, not power over. Power over is how abuse happens. No matter what our intentions are, if the energy within the therapeutic engagement or interaction is misaligned, the other person's nervous system is going to armor up if it does not feel that there is enough safety to be able to stay in curiosity and do this dance together. Our nervous system's protections for keeping us safe from life threats and danger must be respected. We're ready when we're ready. And as Dr. Stephen Porges talked about in our interview on polyvagal theory a few weeks ago, those defenses won't let down until there is a felt sense of, quote, safe enough. So I think this episode will be very interesting. It might be. It might not be. (laughs) If you're not interested in therapy, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast at all. But you get to see what it would be like or what it could look like for a somatic therapy session to take place. And it's pretty cool. So this is the third and final episode in this series with Linda Ty. And I'm so grateful to have had the experience to work with her in this way. I'm very grateful that I've made a connection with her. She's a wonderful teacher and If you have not checked out her website, if you're a therapist who has interest in somatic therapies, you really should check out what Linda offers. She offers her programs at an incredibly low rate. Relatively speaking, what's included in her her 12-hour somatic certificate program is so much really great material and it's it's under $250. So for 12 hours of training with CEs, that's pretty pretty much unheard of, especially when it's this level of quality. Yes, you can get free CEs, but this is a high quality experience. So I've referred very, very many people to Linda's training and I've done it myself and I learned a lot in spite of having a lot of other training under my belt in somatic work. But Linda is her own unique person and her perspective is awesome. I love, I love learning from her. So that is it for now. Let's see, anything I want to tell you? No, I just hope that you will be gentle with yourself. Remember that we're all connected. Honor your own nervous system and be well. My guest today is Linda Ty, LMSW. Linda, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. It's my absolute pleasure. How can I not come back? Laura, you are so delightful. <laughs> <laughs> and I you experience, are. Oh, I actually experience a lot of joy in your presence and being allowed to witness and be present and to journey alongside you during this period of your grief journey is really a gift. Thank you. It's, it's a, it's a mutually, it's a very 
beneficial gift to me. So I'm very, very grateful and honored. And I want to say that your way of inviting me to do this before and now is it's a permission giving about still grieving because it's now been two months since my father-in-law passed and it's like still you know it's still there and all of the complexities that go along with it are still there so but two months is longer than most in western culture at least allow or expect ourselves to be grieving so you've had a relationship with your father for how long father-in-law but father for 28 28 years two months is long enough yeah more than half my life for sure yeah and how old are you now if it's okay to ask yeah 51 51 so you met him at the age of like 23 23 so he saw you through your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and you experienced him as there and not there and yet always around for nearly three decades of your life that's significant and it saddens me to hear that there are people who aren't able to appreciate the context of long-standing relationships because even if people aren't close to us even if we don't get that kind of witnessing that we're looking for or that we need the fact that that person is around is the experience of accompaniment to some degree true and being just being part of your life even if even if we weren't close but i we did have a good relationship so thanks thank you for saying that you i know you're 100% right so i don't know if that was a judgmental part of myself that was saying i shouldn't be still but i always i do always kind of experience myself as a more emotional person and my <laughs> among the people that i'm surrounded by so but that's a that's definitely a family story from my own family of origin and as your friend <laughs> <laughs> All parts of you matter, and you matter, but your feelings matter, and you're real, but you're real, and your feelings are real, and your needs are real, and it's okay for you to take up space in this world as you are, and I would continue to offer you this message over and over and over again, because what I see culturally, systemically, structurally as well as within families, when we're under-resourced, is that children don't get to be children and we don't get to exist and take up space as we are. And then we learn to inhibit ourselves so that we're more pleasing or less displeasing. Yeah. Yeah. Will you say, Linda, a little bit more for the audience? Not for me, just for the audience. <laughs> about, about children not being able to be children. I, I'm sure we both have different ways of knowing what that means. But I'm going to step into some lower energy and courage and vulnerability and speak about this from my own lived experiences. Uh, I got into trauma. I thought becoming a trauma therapist was like helping people to resolve their traumas. And then I realized that I needed to learn about human development and child development. And in the process of that, I became aware of all the ways in which trauma is more than what happened that shouldn't have happened, that there's the trauma of what didn't happen that should have happened the trauma of neglect, the trauma of benign neglect, the trauma of parents who just couldn't be there for you in the ways in which you needed. And speaking for myself, my parents are refugees. I'm a former child refugee. And life in a new country was hard. 
and so they couldn't be with us. I knew they loved us because they were never there. And when they were at home, I had to be quiet at home. I had to be quiet while they were at home. And so I had to inhibit my joyous, exuberant excitement and childlike tendencies to want to do this and want to ask them about that and want to climb all over their bodies. And I also live in a Vietnamese body. And living in a Vietnamese body as a former child refugee meant that my parents learned very early on that they needed to socialize us and condition us for a world in which we weren't a part of the power structure. And so they, we'd, you know, I'd go to doctor's appointments with them or I'd go to the optometrist because I needed glasses as a child and I'd want to check out things in the waiting room just like children do. And my parents would say, no, sit down, be quiet, don't draw attention. Because that fear of being deported or being put in jail or causing trouble or being displeasing was just so huge for them that they also overtly taught me to inhibit myself when I was in public. And yet this happens for so many of us in so many ways. And in this inhibition, we it's the learning of two things. I'm not enough and I'm too much. And so I learned to be someone else in order to receive the love that I'm worthy of. Because at the heart of safety for a for a, for a child is to be wanted. It's to be delighted in. And we're meant to be. Yes. Walking into a room and having the whole room of adults stop and go, oh my God, here comes Laura. <laughs> and to have the experience in your nervous system that you light people up. Because for a child being wanted means you delight in me, which means you will protect me. You will take care of me. You will keep me safe. You will feed me. You will nourish me. I will be the center of your world. And so children who are delighted in, we surrogate and we substitute with ways in which to be needed as a compensatory strategy. And being needed means I'm not going to get overlooked. I'm not going to get minimized. I get the validation of getting approval because I'm doing things that are helpful to the family. And it actually becomes a bit of a setup for codependence because I now am aware of your needs before you're even aware of them and I'm going to help satisfy them because that's the way in which I experienced the gratification of fitting in to a family system that didn't give me the birthright of feeling wanted. It also becomes a bit of a setup for compassion fatigue and worker burnout because I mistake having a wait list with being wanted. Yeah. And yet I can't actually take in when people actually genuinely like me and want to be around me. Wow. And that's one of the impacts of disrupted attachment upon childhood development. The other one is a pervasive sense of loneliness in one's inner landscape. At the heart of all attachment disruption, in my humble opinion, is that pervasive, relentless loneliness, which, you know, led me down the merry road of addiction. And I like, can I cuss on your show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I learned that I can't Drink it away, snort it away, smoke it away, fuck it away, or grandiose it away. You know, it, it's just like what I thought of when you said about the waiting lunch, mm-hmm. that that's definitely something that therapists can probably relate to right now. Oh, I'm so full. I have a waiting list and how there's a sort of a pride in that. I'm so popular and everyone wants me, but there's also like a heavy burden of like, oh my God, there are all these people on my waiting list and I have, you know, and so, but I also thought about like, 
I guess I'll say this is kind of like, well, it's like a billionaire or a multi-billionaire. Like, for example, some, I'm not, uh, let's just say someone who there's just never enough. Even when they have so much money that they literally can never, 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 ever spend it all. Even their four generations down cannot spend it all, even with like massive overspending of, you know, just buying everything just because you have the money. And when you think about like, I don't know, maybe it's kind of like when Gabor Mate talks about like hungry ghosts. Like when you think about that, just like you can't, it's insatiable, this need for more but it's never showing. Yes. And it's also the fact that we don't get what we didn't get. Yeah. I I never got it, so I don't get it. So I don't know what I didn't get. Yes. And so I don't get it when people are kind to me or offer me support or like me. Like what's the catch? Yes, yes, yes. I was thinking about that when you were saying being needed. It's hard for me to relate to being needed as a child. It's easier for me to relate to being invisible was what was needed. You know? Yes. So that don't, don't make me have to do something for you. Don't, don't need my attention don't need my don't be making noise that's bothering me whatever don't be running around don't be whatever just like go so when you talk about loneliness it's like for me it's like go play by yourself in your room by yourself you know so you're like sitting in a box like oh, driving a car and stuff like that you know it's like which is cool but you know not if that's all you ever do <laughs> you know i'm not saying that's all i ever did but for example it's the burden of being a burden. Yeah. It's the burden of having needs. And your caregivers needed you to be needless and wantless. Well, one of the things that we were talking about before we started, I feel like it relates to this. And I think that it would be beautiful if you could talk a little bit about it. And then maybe if you want to demonstrate in some way, however you'd like to go from there but you know talking about that you know we were talking about the back body and like the absence of that safe kind of holding space and how that I'll just let you talk (laughs) yeah (laughs) well it's my my brain was actually let me see if I can connect some dots here Part of the grief that is ambiguous and complex and unnameable for many of us is is the grief over the childhood that we didn't have and the child we couldn't express and the adult I then became or didn't become. And so when we experience adult relationships that allow us to step towards being three-dimensional, four-dimensional humans, adult relationships where there's a witnessing, the loss of those relationships can actually be quite devastating given the context of the life before that. And yet that also invites in the possibility to hold dear the child who couldn't take up a space and what that child then got as an adult through this relationship with your father-in-law and how very fucking special that is. Mm. And I notice that as I say that you take a big, deep breath, it naturally emerges. Yeah. And so part of the developmental actions of attachment are to reach, to grab, to pull, and to have, and to yield, to be had, 
are to have in safety, to be have in safety, which then allows us to experience reaching, grasping, pulling, having and being halved when there's fear or when there's sadness or when there's shame or when there's other emotions going on. Unfortunately for some of us, we only experience those developmental actions of attachment when there was a survival drive behind it. Yeah. And so to experience it in safety actually feels treacherous and treacherously unsafe to reach for help, right? To to actually take the help when it's offered, like that grab, to pull towards and to integrate that support. Like that can be a lifetime of unlearning in order to learn that that's okay. Yeah, and so we learn with patience and safety in connection and repetition. And yet there's this piece about the back body that that can be treacherous for some of us because a lot of trauma happens when we're lying down on our backs, the back body. And so that's where I just named that as an area of of caution. And yet our first experience of back body is actually in the womb. Yeah. And floating and being held. And then we come out into the world and we're swaddled because that's what feels safer for us. Yeah. And that connection to back body and being held. And then from there, we're engaging the actions of reaching. And we're beginning to integrate those, the reach, grab, pull, have. But before it happens with the arms, it actually happens with the turning of the head. It happens with the the, the lifting of the mouth and the chin. And it's part of the primitive reflexes that get integrated. Yes. And I'm I'm sweeping my cheek here. So it's that it's a, the sweeping of the cheek and then the head orients towards the nipple to be fed, to receive nourishment. You had your eyes closed, but my head turned as yours was turning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and in the pesovoidin system of psychomotor therapy, we say that the cheeks are the gateway to nourishment. Mm. Yeah. One reason why I signed up for your course is because I looked at the curriculum and I saw that you were going to talk about the face and the throat and the neck and their role in attachment and trauma. And I'm, I'm a chronic sore neck for years. So. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And I also have like, I watched, even though I haven't released it yet, and I will, I watched the first video of our our first interview together where, you know, you were kind of doing a demo with me. And my, I, I noticed, I'm sure you probably saw it, but I noticed how my, like these uh, tendons in my neck were like, oh, coming forward really powerfully, obviously to try to protect me in some way while I was, crying or you know and I just think about the way when you cry and your throat like closes not to get ahead of it well it it could actually be many things right the the neck tension and pain and so I'll, I'll speak in general terms and then maybe we can you know we can experiment and explore okay yeah so I taught yoga and addiction recovery for a long time and I'm talking, I taught yoga in residential treatment as well as outpatient and intensive outpatient settings, as well as in community-based settings that were specific for folks in addiction recovery that also encompassed folks who were raised in suboptimal family environments. So Al-Anon, adult children of alcoholics. And the one yoga cue one alignment cue that I would give to everyone is bring the back of your head back and your chin slightly down because we are always on the lookout. We are, we've learned to be on the lookout 
the danger. Eyes forward, ears forward. And for some of us, it's also the, the burden on our shoulders. Yeah, that we are the ones that have to be on the lookout. Because who's going to take care of the siblings? Or who's going to notice when a parent starts to become agitated? You know, the sign before the sign before the sign before the explosion. Can I add one? Mm-hmm. When the internal experience is, I'm on my own here. But you're a kid, so, you know, if you're on your own and you're a kid, you're double, triple hypervigilant because kids are not supposed to be no, responsible the, for their own safety. No, <laughs> no, it's the missing experience of protection. Yeah. The other piece about the head coming forward is this can also be the truncated attachment cry and it can also be the suckling response of please feed me, please soothe me, please let me take in something, please I'm empty inside. Mm. And that tends to happen a bit more with a flaccid jaw. whereas. With a tight jaw and the head forward, it's a bit more of a, a fight response. Whereas with the chin tilt, there tends to be the hungry ghost, the insatiable emptiness inside. Yes. I feel, like so, it's the, I feel like it's the fight here. I feel like it's a fight, the jaw clenched and, you know, like looking for danger, like. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to, I'm going to preempt some things. So that when you go into your own experience, there's more of a landscape there. For some of us, the clenched jaw can also be swallowing our feelings, swallowing our fear, swallowing our needs. So it can be an external fight, it can be an internal fight, and it can also be a combination of both that then can lead us into a freeze, high freeze response where I'm stuck between your needs and my fears or your needs and your fears and my needs and my fears. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Yeah. Yeah, it feels very true for me. So I'm not really getting in a lot of fights with other people. It's mainly towards myself. Yeah. Yes. And so I just wanted to offer that nuance because sometimes people go, oh, you know, they're, they're looking for the mess that the story that's held in the body. Yeah. And part of it is to allow me to guide you and also to recognize that there can be some nuance and complexity in those stories. So in this moment, are you able to connect to the back body? What does it feel like to connect to the back body? I had to, I had to touch the chair and then, you know, that helped because I wasn't I don't think I was belted when you said it until I touched the chair. And so as you make contact with the chair, just notice what this is like for you. I can feel it supporting me. Mm-hmm. I do feel it more in my, the backs of my legs, my backs, of my hips and lower back. Kind of like a missing space in the middle of my back. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
does your body and nervous system experience this as resourcing or as something else? But I have to say something else because I can't get my breath to go all the way down. So I don't think it's resourcing. (laughs) Out of curiosity, what happens when you're connected to your back body and you bring your head forward? Well, best thing I can say is that my jaw tensed more and it's like, Mm -hmm. like just tensing. Okay. Okay. So let's. Yeah, let's do a little bit in between. So let's have some contact with the back body, but not fully in the yield to the chair. This chair is not ergonomic as part of the problem. (laughs) Doesn't really fit me right. (laughs) Yeah, that's when I'm like this, I can feel my breath all the way down. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then that chronic pain that you feel in the back of your neck, would it be okay to to allow some of that pain to be here and to perhaps allow your body to reshape itself in accordance to that chronic pain. Suppressing a yawn, suppressing a yawn, I noticed that. Definitely just feels like I really want to extend. I do this a lot and I want to like really extend my neck and feel back of my head like more more far away from not being like truncated down in there Mm -hmm. would it be okay to experiment with truncating your neck down okay yeah so we're actually going to start to inhabit some of this pain that's chronic in your neck oh boy yeah right let me see And as you do this, to notice what emerges for you. Okay. Yeah. It's going to go slow. Mm -hmm. But I'm already feeling, I'm not doing anything with my body. I'm already feeling, it's like my head's like tipping back, Mm -hmm. kind of by itself. It almost feels like now, it's almost like that sensation when you're, falling asleep and you feel like you're falling backwards then you Mm -hmm. wake up real suddenly like this startle reflex yes i'm not even i'm not even truncating it that's just what it's doing just as i know to pay any attention to it it's like Mm -hmm. back more and more well about a few seconds i go back very far it's hurts a lot not like injury but just like Mm -hmm. touches the hurt part yeah so you can your left hand you can offer it as support behind the back of your head so that you can experience the shape with perhaps a little bit less pain as you then start to truncate the neck, as you start to track the tension pattern that's held. It's like I'm pushing, because my so-called supportive hand of like pushing hard against the back of my head. (laughs) My head's going down into my... Yeah, your head actually wants to push back into that head. Yeah, I must be what it's doing. But then I'm like, resist. It's like my hand. No, I'm holding you up. Yes. Yeah. And then (sighs) as the head pushes back into the hand, allow whatever emerges in that area at the base of the neck between the shoulder blades to have a conversation with you. And you can pause and... Notice a felt sense of emergence, sounds, voices, smells, a sense of how old you are. I would say that it, what I noticed is like, I'm keeping my eyes closed because it helps me stay connected to that, but. Like definitely seems very early because there were really no words or images, more just like, yeah, a felt sense. And uh, there was a smell of bleach, mm-hmm. which I have no association with it. So just noticing. Yes. 
I also noticed that your chin, not your the, the bone part of your chin, but the fleshy part of your chin was pulling up. Hmm. Mm, like. Oh, like that, like you were saying about the suckling reflex. Yeah. Would it be okay to con- conscientiously perhaps do the pulling of the chin up? With my finger or? Maybe with your face, see what. And to connect this chin being pulled up muscularly to, yes, to the neck and shoulder blades. Well, all I can tell you is that did something. Uh (laughs) Like I could kind of hear in my inner ear, like a, like a, like it when it's like, I think of it as like calibrating. (laughs) Like, and I did feel kind of uh, this like pulling down like dorsal vagal hypoarousal kind of pulling a little bit. I'm trying to get the thing again. It just all feels so connected. It's like I can feel the roof of my mouth and my tongue in a way that it's like very aware of them. And like my jaw clicking and I don't know, I think I, all I can say is it's just being much more attuned to those parts of my body, but there's no images or anything coming up. No pain either. It's, if anything, the release of some tension. So like seems resourcing, I guess, to go back to the question you asked me before. Mm -hmm. Yes. If I open my eyes and see how I look right now, I'll be very (laughs) distracted. (laughs) And as you stay with this, I wonder if there's anything happening in the rest of your body, any constriction or any unpotentiated energy starting to build or a sense of inkling or gnawing or the presence or absence? Well, since you asked that, I notice. well, now I'm getting something else, like a salivation, like a, what do you call that? Like where you start, it's like anticipating food, seems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then also before that, I'd noticed that, again, my breath seemed kind of shallow. Not shallow, but just like, well, yeah, shallow, because it's not a full breath. It's like a like a constricted breath, even though I don't know. I was about to say, your body is going <laughs> to let you know the touch that it would like. Thinking about petting my puppy, holding my puppy and rubbing her belly, like, and <laughs> how relaxed she is when I do that. I don't think of it human baby necessarily wanted my belly to be rubbed, but feels pleasant now. Yes. And as you rub your belly, what, if anything, shifts for that area of the chin and the area of the back of the neck or anywhere else in your body? Well, I do notice that my back is back up against the chair again and like, it feels more like a warm, pleasant being held versus uh, the way it felt before. I don't know what I would have called that. So stay with this warm, pleasant being held as you're rubbing your belly. Funny because if I were to say what I'm envisioning, it's like, no, I'm not envisioning myself as a baby being held by my mom. I'm fixed, like, I'm like my puppy being held by me last night. <laughs> it's kind of a weird uh, way to imagine oneself, but she was feeling good last night. So it's not a bad, <laughs> it's not a bad association to have. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So in this moment, to land in the yield, to have and be have, to have and be have. And a breath emerges and a sound of pleasure. Yeah. Mm. It's a nice feeling. 
is it okay to feel this feeling? Yeah. Some tears are coming up too. And it was, you know what I was, you know what came with the, as the tears began to rise was to you that I'm not having this experience by myself. You are with me with this and I'm really great to you. You're welcome, Laura. You are deserving of belly rubs. And this connection to the backside of your body. I can tell you, Linda, I have, I have known that, that I was like, that there are parts of the back of my body, like the back of my calf, but I had no sensation. And it's not neuropathy or something like that. It's, it's dissociation from that part of my body. It's very common for trauma survivors to have no connection to the backside of their bodies because we live in our front body. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Get out of there. Yeah. Make a new life. Figure it out. And we're in our front bodies. And to, begin to develop a relationship with the back body. And if we rewind, it was you rubbing your belly that allowed you to connect to the back body. And so we tend to want to connect to the back body and then, yeah. That makes sense. And 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 then and then I'm done, I'm fixed. <laughs> right. We need the resource that allows us to go there. And that resource was actually the chin. Yeah. yeah the chin that then allowed something to open in the, the ears, that it then allowed for a softening, that then allowed for a rubbing of the belly for you. Right. So if we come back to the if we come back to the back body. Perhaps rubbing your belly or a hand there or rubbing. And now if we have a conversation with the muscles around your chin. Who's going to have that conversation? Me or you? I have my eyes closed, so I don't know. (laughs) If this part of you could speak, what would it say? Well, there was a thing that came, but I'm not sure mm. that she's always a challenge with somatic work. I'm like, yeah, that can't be right. But it's the first thing that came. So it probably is what it is. But anyway, it was, I don't want to be too much. I know I didn't think that as a baby. That's not like a thought that a baby, that's a good conceptual, but yeah, it's what, these are the words that came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's held here in the chin that goes, it's not a thrusting of the chin forward, it's a pulling of the chin. You know what it reminded me of when I looked at you while you were doing it? Mm-hmm. When a child goes, and I can remember my parents saying, you're pouting, you're sulking. You know, and it's like, I mean, why does a kid make that face? You're not doing it on purpose, you're just feeling what you feel so that wasn't okay stop pouting yeah that's definitely Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) yeah what would the the hand that's rubbing on the belly what would the hand on the belly say to your pouting chin and say oh you're sad you're feeling something something wrong I think I know that in my family, the way that we were soothed was don't cry. It was, mm-hmm. oh, don't cry, you know. So it was intended warm with warmth and kindness, but it was a, it was also a message of your tears are a problem. And so what happens as you rub your belly and as your belly gives this message to your chin? Oh, you're sad. It's okay to be sad. Feels like being seen, just being like attuned to. I know that's not the words of a baby, but 
That's the only the way best. I can really describe it. Yeah. It's the language of the rubbing of the belly to the pipe. Yeah. Yeah. Like your worth, my attention. Mm-hmm. You're not too much for me. Yeah. And if your back body could have a conversation with your chin. I, there's a, the thing that came was, I got you. <laughs> kind of a cliche for your back to say, I got you <laughs> back, but it's kind of what it was. <laughs> so let your chin take this in. So let your chin take this in. Or the part that expresses through your chin. Yeah. That was like, oh, really? It was like, oh, oh, I didn't know. Didn't know somebody had my back. Thought I was on my own, but it's my own back. So (laughs) I got my back. And I can be in my back body. Yeah. I want to experiment a lot more on my own with the chin because that's something I've never paused. Your hands just did yeah. this, the stroking of the cheeks. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Yes. That's something I did receive when I was a child. It's a very soothing. It's like, if you're sick. My mom used to feel my forehead to feel, she would always put her hand on my forehead to see if I had a fever when I was sick. Yeah. That would be, that was like a soothing touch. Mm-hmm. And you can offer this to yourself without needing to be sick. <laughs> As my self-reliant part said, well, I'm going to go work on my <laughs> But my other, some other part just wanted to soothe me a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was curious. It happened just as your chin was saying, whoa, you've got my back. I'm not alone. And then <laughs> this reflexively happened, the striking of the face. And yeah. it was like, yeah, hello. <laughs> yeah, got me. So much happening in all times, you know, yes. within us and around yes. us yes. and between yes. us. Yes. And so we go back to the canary in the coal mine. So how's your neck in this moment? It has movement. It's definitely, there's pain, but Mm -hmm. there's different places that I hold the pain in my neck. It's not in the middle and then squish down stuff like it often is when I, you know, because I can move it more, it's, there's a soreness like, when I do, but I think it just feels more, yeah, definitely feels, yeah, like a lot more. In this moment, it feels kind of like unfrozen. Yes. Yes. And your eyes also look a a little like, not that your eyes are hugely frozen, but there's more expressiveness around Mm. your eyes. Mm. Yeah. I feel a lot of tenderness and, you know, mm-hmm. that's, I feel tender towards myself and you. And I think that's probably, I've been feeling warmth towards you the whole time, but touching into something different in myself. Open something. Thank you for allowing the witnessing. I know how scary it can be especially when we're contacting tender, young parts. Thank you for holding the space, walking with me, because I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't feel comfortable with you. And I didn't know you really at all the first time we talked. So that is something about your presence that's very, very palpable in the interaction with you. I'm really grateful. You're welcome, Laura. Truly, it's 
You are a gift. Being with you is a gift. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, my hope for the listeners is that you're not just listening for content, you're listening for context. And that context is the relational space. Right. It's the nervous system to nervous system, right brain to right brain. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I want, I want our listeners to be able to have an experience and to understand that it's within a relational context and, you know, what we often are learning so much through by ourselves. So in a disconnected way, kind of, you know. And so my invitation for you as you connect to your back body many times throughout the day is to say hello to your chin. <laughs> well, let your chin say hello to you. And yeah, let that move through. Connect to the belly or whatever it is that emerges. Yeah. Just like shaking my body. head and marveling how it how it's so such a tiny movement that is so connected uh, i know it's all connected but it's just so impactful mm-hmm. and there was listening to yourself report but then there was what i was observing yes yeah <laughs> linda thank you for sharing your time with me again today so and with welcome. our listeners mm. You are so, so welcome, Laura. It's fun. <laughs> I know it is fun, but the best part of all is when you when you give a big laugh like that. I just love it. Yes, because we're both practicing taking up space in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's something that that listeners and followers and you know, people forget about us is that we're on our own journey too. And it's so surprising when people turn up to anything that I do because I'm a child of neglect. (laughs) And I can, yeah, I resonate so much with, with, with the, the, the child parts of you that, needed to be small and not be sad in order to and, and also to not have needs and it's I'm sorry that you have that experience <laughs> to share and I'm grateful that you that you it resonates and that you also share it out yes yeah to be fully human. Yeah. Yes. So much unlearning and learning. Yeah, and we can't do it alone. And we don't have to do it alone. No, we don't. We don't. How joyous. How scary. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. All at once. Yeah. Oh, yes. I hope that you continue to accompany yourself. I will. I will do my best. And is there anything you would like to share before we wrap up? No. Well, let me pause because my default answer to everything is no. Do the things that help you to remember who you are. And stop doing the things that cause you to forget who you are. Mm. Linda's grandpa's words of wisdom. Mm. (laughs) From the ancestors. Yes. Beautiful. That which emerges in the space between us. Thank you, Laura. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today.
With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.